Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Inside the Inspired. I'm your host, Jonathan Cohen. Well, we made it. The final guest of season one on Inside the Inspired. It has been an absolute pleasure to introduce you to each one of the guests so far this season. This podcast started out as a literal dream. And to each one of you that has taken the time to listen, I can't express how much it means to me. There's still so much more to come, including a bonus episode 10 this year, as we gear up for season two in the coming weeks. Music is such a big part of our lives. Whether you're playing, dancing, singing, or listening, music impacts us all differently. This week, you're going to meet music producer and piano instructor, John Schneider. After moving from LA to attend NYU, John produced beats and music for artists like Taylor Bennett, Lil Yachty, and a personal favorite of mine, Luke Christopher. John also went to school with the artist Lauv, and even shared some stories about the impact that Lauv had on John's career. Today, John teaches piano full-time through his online school, Digital Piano School, making learning music affordable and easy for everyone around the world, all while taking on additional projects for artists and companies like Prey.com. A few years ago, John and I recorded a couple songs that I wrote. In large part, I kept them to myself because I wasn't ready to share that side. Not saying that today I am, but are we ever ready for anything we do? This episode was an awesome conversation about the impact of music on our lives, the importance of practice, and different ways to gauge progress even if you're just starting to learn a new instrument. I'm psyched to introduce John, and stay tuned for after the episode and you can actually catch one of the records that I wrote called Let Go produced by my man John Schneider. Whether we're ready or not, it's about bringing music to the world and I'm just doing my part. So with that being said, hope you enjoy the episode and here we go. Welcome to the show, my friend and guest, John Schneider. How are you, my man? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. How about you? I am doing very well. This is actually a very special episode because... This taps into another side of who I am as a person and someone who really embraced it in yourself really made me feel like I could bring my music to the world and feel comfortable in my own skin in that regard. So I'm really hyped to welcome you to the show, talk a bit about what makes you such a unique individual, how you bring the best out in people, how you got to where you are, and I'm psyched. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it today. All right. I'm excited. So John and I actually met back in 2017. I was looking to record some original songs that I wrote. And I had done a lot of research on music producers and tried to figure out a way how to get this done. So I started looking on the internet and came across John who I don't remember exactly what the service was. Do you remember? I was using this company called Thumbtack. It was like a service company and post your services. Actually, the reason I think you had actually reached out to me was because I had done some records for Luke Christopher. And you were a fan. You were a fan of Luke. Not a lot of people know who he is, which is so funny because you worked with artists like Lil Yachty and people know Lil Yachty. I'm indifferent towards his music, but nonetheless... I knew Lou Christopher, who I'm a big fan of. If this guy worked with Lou Christopher, I got to see what I can do, if anything at all, with him. So 
we connected over that. And a lot of his music incorporates the piano. So there was some overlap there. And the second I met John, got the opportunity to talk over the phone. We meet in person and I'm going to this apartment in Brooklyn to record these songs that I wrote. And we go into the basement. There's a beautiful dog. We're hanging out and you got this awesome setup. We hit the ground running. It was Absolutely. It was an incredible experience, one that stays with me till today. And I knew I had to bring John on the show because when you can extract a special side out of an individual, even if it's not a side that someone wants to share with the world, at that point, maybe today, we will. I think it's really important to to share that story with the world because then it allows someone else to pay it forward and hopefully bring out another side of themselves in order to live their best life. So, John, let's see if we could do that today, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should be able to. So how'd you get started working with all these artists? Where, where'd you go to school? When did you start playing the piano? You play more yeah. than one instrument, right? It goes, um, you know, my music career goes back. So when I was a little kid, my mom played piano. So, I mean, she's not a professional, but she's very good, probably even at my level if not even a little better she played and so it was always around me as a kid we had a piano in the house which i think is is an amazing thing you know it allowed me to explore it as a kid and just mess around with it and i remember she would be playing classical songs and i would be standing up next to the keys trying to hit notes that would work with the songs she would plan music was always around me and she knew i was interested in music she could tell out of my three three other siblings that i was the one that connected with music the most so I took piano lessons, but I was always I was always conflicted. I loved basketball. That was my absolute main thing. That was my absolute main thing. Like I, I eat, sleep, live, breathe basketball. That was it as a kid since I can remember. And so I was always basketball and music, basketball and music. So, you know, I started piano lessons probably when I was like six or seven, but never stuck with it really for more than six to nine months at a time. I would take lessons and then kind of fall away from it for a year or two, come back to it, fall away from it. And then when I was 13 years old or so, I was on YouTube and saw this one pianist who could just play like all the pop songs just by ear. He would just make these amazing covers and that motivated me a lot. Okay, this is a whole different side of piano I didn't know you could do. Started working with the teacher on just learning how to play by ear and just learn pop songs and stuff. Did that for about a year again and then kind of backed away from it. And then when I was like 14, I met Luke Christopher, actually, because he he's from my same area, Westlake Village, California, and he's my brother's age. They went to school together. He'd come over to our house and hang out. We'd always have a bunch of people hanging at our house, a bunch of friends. And so I remember I had a keyboard in my room. I remember, man, one time I was still sleeping. It was a summer. People would sleep over at a place. I was still sleeping. I remember he was up in my room at like eight in the morning, like working on my keyboard, making beats on my keyboard. I was wow, like, wow. so cool. While I'm asleep, I'd wake up and see him <laughs> and one of our other friends producing. I was like, what's, what's going on? And I remember he had stored five songs. I and mean, he was probably, I was like 13 or 14. So he's like 15 or 16 at the time. He's a couple years older than me. So I remember listening to being like, wow, that is even another side of music. I didn't really know, you know, making music. And so Luke was really the first one who inspired me to like write music, and especially it was his music itself. You know, I loved his music. I was friends with a lot of his friends and I got to hear a lot of his records that he was cutting when he was trying to get signed when he was about 17 years old. So, you know, it, it kind of, you know, so it all started from, you know, back there and just slowly just grew and grew, you know, it wasn't like an instant thing where it was like, okay, I love the piano. That's all I'm going to do. It's just like most journeys in life. You know, it's never just one 
direction straightforward. You know, you go this way, you go that way, but you, you know, somehow find yourself where you want to be. So I did that, played basketball throughout high school and then was started producing music. And I was like 15 or 16, just making beats, never really knew what I wanted to do with it. You know, I knew I loved producing. I mean, in a perfect world, you know, I wanted to produce for Drake and all the big artists, but didn't know, didn't know what it took to get there. But, you know, I always dream big, you know, I always, whenever I take something on, I always dream it to the fullest, you know, and see it to the, to the fullest potential. And I think that's what's helped me, you know, continue my journey. Yeah. And then after graduating high school, I was looking between a couple colleges and then ended up picking NYU half because it's New York city and half because it was the only school I actually applied to for music. All the other schools I applied to for business, I wasn't sure if I wanted to study it in college. So yeah, ended up making that decision and sticking with it where I learned even a ton more. And even during my time at NYU, you know, I didn't, there was a lot of obstacles in the road. I wasn't sure if it's what I wanted to do and just slowly learn more just through meeting people, through meeting teachers and just different opportunities that came up. It's been a, it's been a journey. It's crazy because you, you made a great point about how your progress hasn't been linear. It's been something that's branched off in different directions, but yet you still find yourself at the same place, composing music, writing music, and now teaching the youth. Teaching the right. youth, teaching, yeah, teaching the youth, teaching adults. During college, I had some opportunity to produce. That's actually was while I was in college, I cut two records with Luke Christopher, which to me was like a dream come true. You know, when I first started producing music, when I was like 15, I had told myself, I'm like, if I could ever cut one record with Luke, like that would be it. That's all I ever wanted. You know, that was like reaching the top for me. And then, you know, in college, I ended up getting an opportunity to cut two records on his uh, debut album with the uh, RCA records and then from there got a placement with you know with Lil Yachty and Taylor Bennett and a couple others after college I was still producing I actually ended up started like writing some of my own music producing and mixing for other people just you know any jobs I can get and meeting you and producing songs for you and a lot of other opportunities and then yeah actually it was actually in college when I started teaching I was like 19 played piano I was good at piano never taught before and there was an opportunity within within our music program to, to, to volunteer and teach like underprivileged kids in New York City, kids that were bused in from Harlem and Queens and stuff. And that was my first opportunity to teach. I taught this little girl 10 years old and I kind of learned it on the fly. It was one of those things where you're never really ready to do anything. You kind of just got to jump into it and just figure it out as you go. And that's kind of what happened with teaching. And from that opportunity, I really fell in love with teaching and sharing my knowledge and my passion for something with young kids and helping them get inspired. And especially with my own musical journey, knowing that like I had teachers that almost threw me off track and could have, you know, I know a lot of people who were thrown off from learning piano because they had teachers that were just mean about it or they, you know, they sucked the fun out of it. I wanted to make sure that didn't really happen with any kids that I teach, especially. I've been teaching since I was like 19, started taking on private clients here and there but was always focused on composing and producing. And I moved to LA in 2018, about a year and a half ago, right? Pretty much like right before COVID hit, I wanted to get more into teaching. And I was like, I want to create an online course. And now of course, online courses are everywhere. That's what everyone yeah. does. But you know, like a few years, few years, like a little, little while ago. And then, and that's how digital piano school kind of came to be. I was like, you know, this is just going to be an online course. And then from there, yeah, it just led to picking up private students and turning into a whole thing where now I literally teach people online and in person. I have online students from the UK, from Germany, from Belgium, from Australia, from, from all other states and countries, which is, which is really cool. 
when you're teaching these students, what's your favorite part about that process? You know, it's a good question. I would say the best part is being able to connect with other human beings and, and just get to treat everyone as an individual. I think a lot of people look at teaching as a job where it's, you know, everything's just curriculum based. You know, I'm going to teach them this today. And I think they lose a lot of the personal side of it. Kind of what your question is. I think the best part about it is just connecting with people and getting to meet so many different people and learn how many different people are out there, especially kids, because kids are such have such personalities, you know, <laughs> they're especially, yeah. you know, I teach kids as young as the youngest dude I ever taught was a year and a half years old. <laughs> and that only lasted for like a little bit. Yeah, he would literally be sitting on his lap with his mom. And we would basically just like play songs for 15 minutes and just explore music a little bit. But yeah, you know, I, I really just get to enjoy just meeting so many people and getting the and getting, you know, in the relationship deepens, you know, more than just a teacher student, you know, it's like a friendship and a mentorship and almost like, you know, being a teacher is almost like being a therapist. <laughs> you know, you're like an external person that people get to talk to and share feelings with. And so I, I'd say that's probably my favorite part of it. And then of course it's music, you know, so getting to share music with people and something that brings people so much joy and that is so personal to everybody. You know, everyone has their own personal relationship with music. And I feel my job is to help people understand what that relationship is that they personally have. That's an incredible realization because music is its own language and it's a platform for people to, like I was saying earlier, share a different side of themselves and the way that it trickles down into other areas of my life. When I was younger and I was learning how to play the piano, I've been playing since I was like 10 years old, maybe. And I never really knew what I was going to do with it. I just always loved it. But my favorite part about music is the actual performance. I love performing. It is probably my favorite thing in the world to do. And throughout my experience, when I left for the Israeli military, I stopped playing for a bit. And, you know, you were mentioning basketball before. And when I was applying to law school at summer, studying for the, for the LSAT, I tore my labrum playing basketball. And I really was starting to hit a stride with my fitness. Not that I knew what I was doing. And then obviously that was cut short. And the next thing I know, it's just me and the LSAT books. And I'm like, oh, my God, I hate everything. This is just so much. I need something else to channel. So after I had surgery, I'm sitting down in my basement. I'm hanging out with those books. I'm like, this really is not ideal. And then I look over at the piano in the corner, said to myself, I'm just going to walk over, sit down. I start playing one hand in a sling. And everything all at once came rushing back. I ended up writing my first song that I had written in a really long time. I was really proud of it. But the point of this story is that while I was going through that process, I had this vision in my mind of a crowd reacting in the best possible way that someone could react to a live performance. And fast forward like six months later, I end up playing or eight months later I end up playing that song in front of a crowd at a talent show in college and ended up winning the talent show and got that reaction that I envisioned it was one of the craziest experiences of my life and then fast forward another few years where I where I meet you and I don't believe it was the same song 
but you tapped into another part of me that hadn't been tapped into since that day when I was on stage. It was the closest that I was able to come to that moment in performing. And we're in your basement, singing my heart out into a wall with this mic. And you're playing back my voice. I can't stand the sound of it. And you really like held my hand through that process, metaphorically speaking. And, you know, we made something that I'm, I'm very proud of. And when you're cultivating that relationship that you were talking about and you see someone's uncomfortable in a position like I was, what's going through your mind in terms of how to optimize their performance and get the most out of their experience? Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think, you know, as a producer, you know, I mean, there's like different jobs, you know, producer, mixer, this and that from what I was doing was kind of like a mix of everything. But, you know, my job was to, focus on you not you know focusing on how it sounded I think so many music is so I think it's something that everyone in the world is the most self-conscious about everyone is self-conscious about their voice maybe not Bruno Mars but you know people like that most people who are not Bruno Mars and those type of people are extremely self-conscious about their voice and really it's it's all in their own head they're imagining these other reactions from people that aren't real that you know they haven't even seen yet and so my job is to get the artist to not focus on that and just to focus on giving the best performance they they possibly can. And don't worry about, you know, what it's sounding like, you know, do what you can and we'll figure out the rest later. But yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's to just get people to feel confident and not worry about what people think. Touching back on what I said, music is, is personal and it's so subjective, completely subjective. And there's, you know, what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. It doesn't exist in music. And I think even artists like, like Lil Yachty are a perfect example of that, of what it means to be a rapper, what it means to do this and all that. So, you know, to me, when I'm working with people, whether it's teaching, whether it's producing for them, whether it's composing for their projects, whatever it is, I just want them to focus on what we can, what we can do, not what we can't do. You know, I think that's, that's a big, a big part of it. And just to and just to have fun with it, I think most importantly, you know, I think everyone gets so, especially when people are producing songs, it's like, ah, oh, this has to be the one, you know, this has to be the hit song, you know, or else we got to get rid of that feeling and just say, just, just make the song, just have fun, whatever it is, just don't worry about the, don't, don't get caught up in your head about it. Just record yourself, give it your best take that you can, and we'll figure it out. That's, that's all you can do. When you're working with those artists. Luke Christopher, Lil Yachty, Taylor Bennett. How do you approach those situations relative to a novice piano player or singer-songwriter like myself? Is it the same approach or do you find yourself handling it differently than you would someone else? I never actually got the chance to meet Lil Yachty or uh, I met Taylor Bennett, but I didn't actually work with him on that specific song. Those were like different type of placements. The Lil Yachty one was... I made a beat. I was working with the production team at the time called Zig. And one of the guys in there had sent the beat out to basically a manager who passed it along to Taylor Bennett, who ended up using it and getting Lil Yachty on it. So I was never really in the studio cutting that record with them. But with Luke, I have been in the studio many times with Luke, actually. When I was with Luke, I was young. I was like, a, just finished my freshman year in college. He was, you know, he was signed. So, you know, there definitely was a, I wouldn't say, especially with Luke, it wasn't, wasn't starstruck because I knew him so well. I knew him as a person before an artist. So I think that helped. But to me, as a person, I really don't change how I approach people. 
but I do gauge every single situation differently. And I think situation where I was working with Luke, he was pretty confident in knowing what he wanted. And I think it was kind of a collaboration that way where he was working on the drums. He was sitting at the computer. I'm sitting at the keyboard and I just start messing around with things. He'd be like, oh, that's dope. You know, let's cut that. So it was kind of like a reverse role there with Luke. I was more of kind of like a keyboardist and composer and he was kind of producing it and it was for him, you know? So in a situation like that, I take a little bit more of a backseat because it's his project. It's his song. You know, I still want to show what I can give my opinion where I feel it's needed, but in something like that, it's a different relationship working with you or with people who come to me to produce a song for them. I gauge it on what the, what the artist is asking for. I feel like you were in a situation where you've never produced a song before. You've never taken a song from the piano to a record. You know, it's so different, you know, to have just like a song you've written on piano to then have a recording over it. And I think we talked about it as well during that time. When you make a record, it's scary because it's, it's a final version. You have to make decisions about how you do it. This is the master copy. This is what people are going to hear. This is how this song is going to live on from this version. So this vocal take is what you're going to use. This sound is what we're going to use. So it's scary, you know, versus just playing it on the piano. You can kind of sing it a little bit differently this way. Do a different arrangement this time. You know, that's where the live performance changes. My goal with you was just to not tell you what to do, but just inform you, you know, and I think that's how I, how I always work with, with people is just, you know, share as much knowledge as I can so that they can make their own decision. I don't like to make decisions for people. I like to share my knowledge and hope that helps us come to a mutual agreement. You've also had the opportunity to work or at least attend school with another artist that I'm a fan of, Lauv. Mm-hmm. And you got to see him in the early stages of his career. How do you find that being, even if you weren't in the same room as those other artists, when they're using your beats or you're composing new music, how do you find that surrounding yourself with that type of influence or seeing someone's career then relative to now has impacted your own journey? Lob is actually probably one of the most influential people in my journey, mostly because I had the opportunity to see him and I'll never forget. So I was, when I first started school, I was a music technology major. And so was Lav. And every Wednesday we had these things called collegium, which is where the whole program got together and, you know, just kind of talked about news and stuff like that. And then once a month we had listening sessions where you can share something you've been working on. And I remember people would play their stuff and it's, it was good, you know, and then Lav played his song and it was just like, is this, a, is this something on the radio currently? Like, like, what is, it was just like so much better, but it was funny because he was, he was as humble as anything. I mean, I, I mean, as good as he knew he was, he didn't know where his career was going to take him. I mean, like I said, it's the same thing. It's like, we have ideas about where we want to be. We can never, we can never really know. Now I remember one of our professors jokingly would be like, oh, by the way, you know, you'll hear his song on the radio. And he sit a lot of sitting in the back. He's like, no, no, it's not. Like, he's like kind of laughing it off and shrugging it off. And I think that was so important to be able to witness that because it was like only like, it was like two years later that it actually, that he actually did start kind of taking off. Being able to, to see that. It's one thing to hear a story about it, but it's another to live it and to be in the same room as that person. Like I said, it's inspiring because it's as good as he was, he didn't know that he would be as big as he is now. I think it's just cool to see that growth and just see how it happens. Even him, you know, he was kind of just sitting there like, no, it's not, you know, I'm not on the radio. It's not whatever. And it ended up happening, obviously. And now he's 
probably one of the biggest artists in the world in terms of streaming wise. I got to know him a little bit. Actually, when I was a freshman, I actually, I actually played one of my songs and he was, he actually like raised his hand to give some feedback on it. And I thought that was pretty cool. He was like, oh, this sounds cool. You should get a singer on it or something like that. I think when I was like a junior and he was a senior, we actually ended up having a class together and I, you know, walked home with him one day and we were just talking about stuff and things like that. And I think three months later, he was moved to LA and I Like Me Better was blowing up. Wow. <laughs> so it happens quick. And I think that's the other thing too, is like, you know, things just kind of happen all of a sudden. It's not like, oh, like we said, you know, it's not linear. It's not like, oh, he's growing a fan base. He's growing a fan base. He was just like this. And the next thing you know, he's up here. So yeah, being able to see that and be around that was incredible. It's funny how the influences in our life impact us and your experience with those artists informed your work product and your artistry when we were working together. When you're making a song, when you're writing, composing, you have the piano, you have the beat, another mutual influence of ours, John Bellion. What do you enjoy making more? Because I know for me, I have rhythm and I can tap on a table or, or a djembe and I could do that for hours. It's one of my favorite things to do when it's available to me. The piano, my music theory knowledge is limited relative to yours. So I'm pretty much working with the same education that I had till I was like 17, 18 years old before the army. And I didn't really go into that much further. One day, I believe I will. Who knows? This conversation probably inspires that. For me but you can only focus on so many things at once when you're when you're composing you're producing what do you find informs the song the most is it coming up with the beat is it coming up with the melody bellion for example i know he likes to come up with the beat first for me the melody is super important the beat kind of follows the melody lyrics ideas you know they shift, but the melody for me is always number one. What do you find is the foundation for your work? For me, at least, there's no one, there's no one method. I remember when I first started, it used to be that I always had to have a chord progression to start a song. I couldn't, I never started with drums, ever, 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 ever. Drums actually was always the weakest point in my producing, which is funny because a lot of what producing is, is drums. That was always the weakest point when I first started out. Even when I was sending stuff to Luke, he always like, the melody and the chords are crazy. Work on those drums. And so anyway, so I never really started with drums ever. It was always chords because I was a piano player. So it was always coming up with an idea. And generally, it wasn't chords that stood alone. It was like chords and melody together. A lot of times it was improvising chords and melody at the same time. And then a couple of years later, as I, uh, or starting with the sample, starting with the sample is kind of like a different thing, but I guess that's kind of related to chords and melody. And then that summer that I worked with Luke, Luke's similar to Bellion in that he likes a drum beat. Cause once you have a groove going, it, it opens up more creativity for how you use your chords and how you use your melody. Cause now there's rhythm, the rhythm's already set now. So you've already got a groove going. So after working with Luke that summer, I kind of switched and I kind of went more with like, always starting with drums, always starting with drums. And now it's kind of up in the air. I, I think a lot of times when I sit down, it depends. You know, if I'm composing for a very specific project, like right now I'm doing some stuff for Prey.com and it's a lot of inspirational film score style composing, I already have in my mind, 
ideas of what I want to do. Not specific melodies, but okay, I have ideas of what type of sounds I'm going to use, you know, type of tempos I'm going to use and things like that. So with projects like that, there's already something in mind of how I should start it. But if I'm just sitting down randomly and saying, I want to make a song today, I don't really make a decision. I, you know, sometimes I'm sitting on the computer and just scrolling through my samples and I'll be like, oh, that's a, that's a cool sounding snare. And that's the same snare I've heard maybe 20 times over the last six months. But for some reason today, that snare sounds a little more inspiring, something about it is vibing. So maybe from there, I just start with that snare and let that open up the process and see where that one thing takes me. So, you know, it really depends on the, pro on the project, but if I'm just straight sitting down, just, I want to make a song today, I can kind of do it both ways. Uh, you know, I love just sitting at the piano, coming up with maybe chords and even singing something over it and coming up with a little hook. Sometimes it's putting down a drum beat and writing a whole chord progression and writing a whole beat and then coming up with words later. And I think it's important to have multiple ways to inspire something because what people don't realize a lot about creating, when people hear the finished product, they listen back and they, and they think people created it, you know, linear starting. Okay. They started with the intro. Then they went to the first, you know, that's how they wrote the song. But most songs are not written that way. It starts with just something, just putting something just like with writing an essay or something. It just starts with putting something on paper and then that can open up everything. So for me, it's like, as soon as I get one idea going, that could then create the whole thing. So I go back and forth between the piano, between starting with that, starting with the sample, and I love the process of just watching it unfold and seeing, you know, how like, oh, it all started with that one sound. And then that led to me creating this type of chord. And then that led to this type of drum pattern. And then I ended up deleting the first sound that I used because it doesn't fit anymore. But that first <laughs> sound, that first sound is what inspired everything. Yeah. So my process changes every day. You know, I don't like to have one specific method. But like I said, it depends. If I'm sitting down with an artist and we, we're on a time limit, I'm getting paid on my time. Maybe I'm a little more precise about it. I'm like, okay, you know, tell me what you got. All right, well, let's start with chords here because let's get a good feel for what type of chord progression you want. But a lot of times I like to just vibe out and just see what comes out of it. That's one of the craziest parts about writing. I think I sit down, I'll have this idea about something that has happened or could happen and I get this theme in my mind like I said I usually tend to start with a melody but I don't know if it's the melody for the chorus or the melody for the verse and I want it I don't know which way I should go with it or is this the bridge of the song Where, wherever it is you're so right what could start out as this beat that informed the entire song you end up not even using at all but it got you <laughs> where you are and it's the exactly. funniest thing did i waste my time no not at all it set well, that's the tone what, that's, that's what started it off and that's what inspired the other thing and without that that would have never happened so you need that it's, it's a huge part and i think that's part of being a creative as well is being able to make sure what mindset you're in you know and i think a lot of people try and play the creator and the editor at the same time and you can't do that you have to let the creator create once you've gotten all the creative juices out, then you can go back and edit. But one of the worst things you can do is try and create and critique at the same time. And so I think it's important is just to, to let the inspiration flow and don't worry about whether it sounds cool or whether this is going to work. Like just, just go and just build and just build. Just like it's, it's the same way I used to write a lot of my college papers. Just start writing. 
just start typing. Just any idea that comes to mind. It doesn't matter if it's the next paragraph. Just, you can always go back and fix it later and delete something and then add something in and then reread it and be like, okay, now I see that these don't connect. So now I need to make this little transition. That's how things come together. It's very rare. If you always try and start something with the first note, you know, is this going to be the first note? It, you'll never finish. It's like, it's like that episode of SpongeBob where he just starts with the, you know, he's like, Spence, like, and I don't know if you've ever seen that episode. We know he's like, stay, <laughs> staying up all night. He's staying up all night. Jesus Christ, duh. Cause he's, you know, right up in the beginning. I think it's a funny little example. I think it's important is just to, when you're creating, just create. Don't worry about editing. Don't worry about critiquing it. Just, just create. And then at least for me, that's how it works is I lose track of time when I'm creating, you know, I'm just in the zone. And then all of a sudden, you know, the juices will slow down and then it's like, okay, you, you, then you can step back and look at it from a different perspective and say, okay, now let me listen to what I've created. And now you can say, okay, this is something, it's a good start, but it needs work that you can do that later. But if you're trying to critique too early in the process, it kills the creative juices right away. It's got to be really special to work with kids, adults, teenagers, and seeing all the different types of learning styles. If someone is skeptical about starting a music journey, for lack of a better way of putting it, what are some words that you can offer to help inform their decision-making process? Oh, I always wanted to learn how to play the piano. Oh, I always wanted to learn how to play the guitar. I wish I had better rhythm. Where do you think someone can get going in that regard? I think the first thing I always tell people, and this is whether I'm talking to an eight-year-old or talking to a 60-year-old who are in two different completely places in their life, obviously, is that music is a never-ending journey. It's not like you learn the piano. That doesn't really make sense. You know, you're always like, I'm still learning the piano. I've been playing for 15 years. I'm, I'm still learning the piano. Elton John is still writing songs. <laughs> the guy is like the greatest selling artist of all time. And he's still coming to the piano, trying to find a chord progression he hasn't used yet and trying to find a rhythm maybe. So it's a never ending journey. I think a lot of people have this idea that it's a checkbox thing. Like, okay, I've learned the piano. I can check that off my list. Learning the piano, just touching back, it's just further deepening your relationship that you already have with music. And so I, I really try to instill that in a lot of my students, no matter their age, that it's like, this, this is a never ending journey. Even for someone like yourself, who I know you said you have a lot going on, so it's hard to choose both. It's like, you never have to fully let go of music. Either It's not like I'm either doing it full time or I'm not doing it. It doesn't have to be so black and white and so extreme. I tell people, hey, even if you could find five minutes a day to practice, that consistency is going to add up and you're going to be way better than you were a year ago. Rather than saying, oh, I want to wait until I have an hour a day. It's not going to help. You're going to keep saying that forever because I'm sure as you've known and your listeners know, as you get older, life gets busier and busier and you have less time to do stuff for yourself. And that's another brings me like my second point with the piano, which is like learning music is for yourself. It's for nobody else. And I think a lot of people when they first want to learn music, I think a lot of people have this idea that they want to impress people with it. And they want to use it as a tool to impress people. Like, oh, I want to be able to go to a bar and be able to play a song. And people will be like, oh, you know, that's so cool. But it's for you. And I think one of the hardest things to do in life is to make time for yourself, for truly just for yourself. Uh, with a lot of my older students, especially, I touch on that, which is, do you have what it, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't have time to practice this week. What does that mean? Like, how do you not have time? (laughs) You know, it's like the thing, the thing is that you just, you didn't make time for yourself. You didn't, you weren't able to set aside 10 minutes of your schedule from eight o'clock to eight, 10, you couldn't have found 10 minutes to just sit down 
in practice and play. So I, I touch on those two things a lot that it's like a never ending journey. And then that secondly, it's you got to make the time for yourself and you know, no one else is going to do it for you. Otherwise, you know, your life's going to keep going. People who have come to me, I'll never forget. There was this one student came to me. I think I started teaching when he was like 60 and he was like, Oh, I played a few years ago, but then things got busy and I stopped and you know, and then I picked it back up and then things got busy and then I stopped. And now here I am, you know, I'm ready to dive in and, you know, and take this serious. And so I started teaching him when I was living back in New York and, and we did like six months together. And then couple of big projects came up for work. So he had to go out of town and then he missed a lesson or two. And then he's like, oh, I can't do this. It's too inconsistent. And I was like, okay, you know, I understand. Sure enough, three years later, <laughs> he sends me a text message. Hey, are you still teaching? He decided rather than just say, things are going to come up all the time in our lives. You don't have to practice every day to get good. You know, it's okay to take a week off. Even I, I take months off of playing still time. It doesn't mean I've stopped my journey. My journey's still going. I just haven't played in a couple months. You're always going to look back and say like, oh, I should have just stuck with it. I should have just stuck with it. Well, then just stick with it. You know, it's like, <laughs> stop, stop making it this whole big thing. of it's like, I'm either practicing two hours a day or I'm not playing at all. Yeah. Whenever, you know, start by just putting it into your schedule. It's like, and, and like you, I mean, you're so big with fitness and that's something where I actually struggle now is finding time, making time, excuse me, as I correct myself, making time to work out and to, you know, treat my body better. And I think it's because like many people who approach the piano, it's the same thing rather than just saying, hey, let me just start with 10 pushups a day for a month, you know, and let that be the start of my journey. Now I want to go do an hour a day and run for, you know, it's like you, we start thinking too big, too early. The first thing you got to do is just make it a habit, build the habit. So even if it's two minutes of playing a scale over and, you know, just playing your C major scale for two minutes a day, do that for a month. Sure, maybe you haven't improved tremendously, but what you've done is you've put in your mind that you can get to the piano every day. And I right. think, I think that's a, that's a big part. It's just like build the routine and start small. Like, you know, it's, it's funny too with kids because I'll tell kids I'll be like, practice this five times a day, and they'll be like twenty times. I'm like, no, 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 like literally just like just five times. Like don't 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 twenty times isn't going to change anything. It's a long it's a long term game. This is not a short like if you try and do this whole start right at the, you know, start as hard as possible, right from the beginning, you're going to burn yourself out. And, and I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. And so starting to build the habit of getting there and, and seeing what it feels like to you, like mentally, how does it feel to get to the piano every day? It feels relaxing. Piano is supposed to be relaxing. It's not supposed to be stressful. Practice is supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be forced. If you feel like you're forcing yourself to practice, then something's wrong. If something's, something's not right, either your teacher's not explaining it well to you, or you haven't truly found the reason of why you're trying to learn. You might be trying to learn for the wrong reasons then. It's funny because you talk about, the, you gave the fitness analogy. And something I talk about a lot on this show in particular is the same concept of treat fitness as this never-ending journey. It's one that everyone should start and no one should finish. And I try to take that same theme and apply it to life because when you take the pressure off, it allows you to really embrace the process and then the result ends up being inevitable. And I give credit to Ross Edgley, who's big influence for those two themes in my life. And I try to implement them in everything I do, whether I'm training, whether I'm playing the piano, whether it's work or this podcast, Whatever it is, I tend to overextend myself 
because I take that same idea of like 10 minutes here, two minutes there. And it really does make a difference because at the beginning of the year, when I first released the trailer for this podcast, I put nine different photos of the nine different guests that I wanted to bring onto this show. I had commitments from each one of you and I wanted to manifest it. I didn't know how it was going to unfold because not all the episodes had been recorded yet, only a couple of them. So now we're in December of 2021 and here we are with the ninth guest. And it's crazy because like you said, it's this journey and over time, things will reveal themselves. And what started out as something that was non-existent at the beginning of the year has now a has now become a compilation of nine different individuals, nine different stories that are going to show up on the feed of the podcast. And I'm so super proud of that because it speaks to everything that you're saying. It's awesome because with the piano, as opposed to fitness, I feel that with fitness, the consistency, it really builds on itself. It's that compounding effect. And the results show, I believe, rather quickly when you're working versus when you're not. And there's latitude for the days that, you know, say you put in a good week, but you have some fun on the weekend. The results aren't necessarily going to waver that much. Versus piano, I find it to be very intellectually stimulating. But if I don't practice for a few days, I know the stuff that I've been doing my whole life, but let's say it's something new. It's harder to train into my mind and my spirit when it comes to this. So I'm at the piano six days a week, five days minimum, but I'm playing the same stuff and new lyrics come, new melodies come. But in terms of improving as a piano player, I don't really feel that I'm getting better. And I know, like I was saying earlier, I am going to commit to that process in the future, along with all the other goals I have. But when you're trying to consciously improve at something, how do you make the space in your mind in those two minutes, in those 10 minutes, in this regard? When it comes to fitness, I know how to do it. I have a much better idea. But for relativity purposes, how do you gauge that progress when it comes to something like the piano? There's a few things like what you're saying with like two minutes or 10 minutes. And I think one is to be goal oriented. A lot of people say, I'm going to go practice the piano. And then they sit down at the piano and they say, now what, what am I supposed to practice? <laughs> so it's like, that's like showing up to the gym and being like, do I want to bench today? Do I want to run on the truck? You're probably not going to, you're not going to do much then, you know, you don't even know what you're doing here. And then you're going to aimlessly wander from machine to machine and kind of be all over the place. And by the end of it, you don't feel accomplished, which then creates a negative effect on our mind that well, I, I did something, but I don't feel better. So when you are practicing, I'm a big believer in separating. And I, I learned this from an incredible book actually called First Learn to Practice. <laughs> it was probably one of the most influential books I've ever read in my life by a guy named Tom Heaney. He's actually a guitar player, but the book relates mostly just to any type of music. And that book changed everything for me because I didn't practice properly and so I never, I mean, I was improving, you know, if you get to the piano every day, you're, you're going to improve. It's just not going to be as noticeable or as big. So one of the best things I've learned from the book is to, to use a timer. 
when you're practicing. So you know exactly how long you need to stay focused for. Because at the piano, it's very easy because there's music, you know, to start with something. And then all of a sudden you hit this note and you're like, oh, that could be a cool melody. And then your mind wanders off and now you're playing something totally different than what you started with. So I, I think using, especially for shorter amounts of time, set a timer for two minutes because it's amazing to see how much you can accomplish at the piano in two minutes. There's a lot of different bits of info I'm going to get here. So timers are very important and we'll kind of tie it all in. But the next thing is to separate in your mind what you're doing. Similar to what I said with creating, separate being a creator from an editor. Don't let the editor come into the creator's world. Don't let the creator come into the editor's world. I mean, you know, there's a time and a place for it, but they need their separate world. And it's the same with practice. When you're at the piano and you're sitting down, you need to decide, am I practicing right now? Am I writing right now? Or am I just playing around? Because and, and all of those things are important. You know, it's not like you should only practice. You know, if you do that, you'll get, you'll get bored. There, need, there needs to be time for fun and for playing around. So I think you need to first determine in your mind what you're doing at the piano that day. If you're there to play around, then don't worry about anything. Just go play around. Mess around with notes. Mess around with chords. Maybe, you know, it's like an improvising, writing, messing around session. That's good. But when you come to practice, that's a different mindset. And that practice needs to be focused. Your concentration levels need to be at its highest if you want to retain things and, and practice effectively. So if you are coming to practice, so once you've determined, okay, I'm here to practice today, not mess around. I'm here to practice. Bringing in the timer concept, first decide how long you're going to practice, right? Like am I practicing for two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes? What is it? Whatever it is, set a timer for that. Let's say you're saying I'm going to practice for 20 minutes. This is just me personally, but I think it relates to a lot of people is 20 minute burst of concentration is exhausting. I'd be surprised if there's many people out there who can sit at the piano and stay focused for 20 minutes straight. So I'm a big believer in breaking down your sessions into smaller parts. So if you want to practice for 20 minutes, break that down into four or five minute sessions or five, four minute sessions or 10, two minute sessions or two, 10, you know, whatever it is, like break them down into smaller sections so that you can stay more focused. Next, after you've decided how long you want to practice, you got to figure out what you're practicing. Is there a, if you're reading music, is there a specific piece that you're working on? Is there a specific exercise you're working on? Are you working on a certain scale? Now let's say you've determined, okay, I'm playing this one song, right? The whole song is 16 measures long, 16 bars, whatever we want to call it. And I'm going to practice this song for 20 minutes today. So we've determined, okay, I'm doing a 20 minute practice session and it's a 16 bar song. Well, you start your timer and a lot of people make the mistake of trying to do the whole song all in one sitting. I'm going to start from the beginning and play it to the end. And then what happens is they play it and they make a mistake. They keep playing. They go to the end and then they say, okay, I'm going to play it again. So then they go back to the beginning. They make the same mistake. They keep going. <laughs> they get to the end. They, you know, we need to be able to not only break down our time sessions into smaller segments, but to break down our piece into smaller sections. And say, instead of trying to take on 16 measures, right? Our brain, our brains only have so much bandwidth of what we can really take in. Work on just two measures. Literally, just say, I'm just going to work on the first two measures of this song for five minutes. So I'm going to put on my five-minute timer, and I'm just going to play these two measures over and over and over and over until they become second nature for me. That's one aspect of it. And, and, you know, another big thing is being able to, to slow down. I think that's where I see no matter what age, I think that is the biggest, most common mistake I see in everybody is trying to play fast. They think that like that is what playing piano is, is playing fast. And that's what's going to make it sound better. Being able to slow down is huge. Like not just slow down a little bit, but like slow down to where it feels easy for you 
to do it. So it's like, if you're practicing a scale, you know, or something, and you know, you're going like this. And then, you know, every time you do this, you're trying to go fast and you keep making a mistake. Don't just slow it down a little bit. Literally do it in slow motion and see what it feels like in slow motion and let your, because once your hands and your fingers have played something correctly in slow motion, they've learned it. When you can play it correctly in slow motion, they've learned it. Then you can speed it up and then try doing that. It is hard to say specifically with practice without knowing specifically what you're trying to practice. Come with a goal, just like you would at the gym. Come, you know, have an idea of, you know, have a good idea of what exactly it is you're trying to work on today. Two, have a, an idea of how long you're going to stay. Because if you just sit at the piano and you start playing, what happens is we end up playing until we get bored or until we get frustrated. And those are horrible things to end on. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't want to walk away from the piano because you're bored or because you're frustrated. Yeah. You, want to, you want to walk away from the piano because your timer went up. And then you have to force yourself to walk away. You want to stay, but you have to say, no, my timer's up. Mm-hmm. I got to walk away from this right now. Do you have that ability to walk away from something, you know, to, to leave out on a good note? And that's kind of where we want to, where we want to be at. You want to leave on a positive note. But once again, something that becomes personal to everybody. Everyone has to learn how to practice, you know, with music, like I said, there's, and and with most things in life, there's no one size fits all solution. There's just not. And I think so many people, and I see it on forums all the time. And how do I learn the piano? It's not here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. Like it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's a process. It's, it's meant to be hard. (laughs) If it wasn't hard, Everyone in the world would play the piano. Like it's supposed to be hard. It's like working out. You're not supposed to, it's, it's supposed to be hard. Like, yeah, like doing 20 pull-ups, like your muscles are supposed to hurt. That's the joy of it. You know, that's, I think that's 90% of the fun of learning piano is like playing something, being like, damn, this is hard. And then practicing it and working towards it and being like, all right, I can do it now. That feels good. I couldn't do it. It was a challenge. I got over that challenge and now I can do it. That's, that's, that's playing the piano. That's what it is. <laughs> That is an incredible parallel that you drew. Slowly teaching your fingers to learn the music. So in this way, it's drilled into them. Training Muay Thai, it's very similar. Drillers make killers, the phrase. Yep, absolutely. It's it's all repetition. You know, it's all repetition. But doing, really it correct, cool. doing, but doing it correctly, but doing it correctly, not repeating the, the wrong thing, but with like Muay Thai and things like that, you know, I'm sure there's lots of similarities. You don't start off doing the craziest stuff. Like you got to start, you know, if you never played basketball before, you don't try and copy a Chris Paul move. Like, no, you should, you should just focus on trying to bounce a ball with one hand, then learn how to go through the legs. So too many people try and just jump straight to the hard thing. And yeah. then they get frustrated. And they're like, I don't get it. This is hard. I'm not good at this. I suck. Well, <laughs> look at what you're trying to do. That guy's been doing that for 30 years. Yeah. You're on day one and you're already trying to do that. That seems silly. So it's a lot of kind of, it's just a lot of like common sense too. But a lot of people are not saying a lot of people don't have common sense. It's hard to do. Like that's like, it's, you got to admit that it's, it's not, it's not supposed to be easy. It's going to take time. That's why I say, like, like you said, like you just got to commit. And I think another last little point I'll touch on, which is kind of what we were you were jumping into earlier, but like with results, you can't look at piano on a day-to-day basis. Once again, I'll just keep using the fitness analogy because it's so familiar with you, but like you don't do 20 sit-ups and then go flex your abs in the mirror and expect there to be a, a result right away. Mm-hmm. You don't do 20 sit-ups a day for a week and expect yourself to be ripped. You can't look at your piano progress every single day and think that I get better today. That I get, better. you can't look at, you have to look in like quarterly reports or in six months regiments, like practice for six months, then look back. Don't look back every day. You're going to drive yourself crazy. 
you'll never feel like you're making progress if you if you keep comparing to yesterday. You can only look in bigger bursts. You got to look six months back and say, okay, I'm definitely better than I was six months ago. And you know what's going to happen in six months? I'll be six, I'll be better than I was here, way better than I was here. And that just keeps going. So funny because the other day I saw something. Isn't it funny how every day is the same, but when you look back, everything's changed. So, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And just going back to, to the slow motion, everything in training also is about control and in life time under tension do you want time to slow down hold the plank for a minute like see if uh see if that changes anything it's so cool to see all the different parallels between training and music and progress and work it's always the same principles but how you implement them that's that's the key teach a man to fish and leave for life or a woman to fish she'll leave for life when you look back and you see how everything has changed, what do you believe is next for you? I could truly say I don't know because it's because I don't, you know, because this whole journey of where I am all started from wanting to make rap songs, <laughs> which then led to teaching, which then led to film composing, which now led to even now what I'm doing a lot of is actually writing music for kids, something I never knew I had a knack for. And so it's, I don't really know. All I know is that music is going to be part of my life, hopefully forever. That's, that's all I can certainly say. I, I truly just don't know where things can take us. And I think that's the, the beauty and the hard part in life is kind of accepting that. Things lead to another. We really don't have too much control over it. And I think that's what kind of makes it fun is to kind of look back. You can only look forward from looking back, whatever it is, you know, and, and, and look back and say, oh, that led to that, which led to that, which led to that. But like, I wasn't putting those steps together on purpose. They were kind of just happening because life was happening. But overall, I mean, with what I believe where things can go is really trying to build digital piano school into what I initially wanted it to become, which is making learning the piano affordable and accessible to everybody, not just through an online app or through whatever, but like, from my own personal teaching style and my own way to share that with the world. And I think, you know, as negative of a thing COVID's been, I think it's also been a blessing and allowed us to connect even to do what we're doing right now and have you in New York and me in LA. So I, I think it's, you know, that's something I'm still the most focused on. You know, I still, I'm still composing. I mean, I still would love to win a Grammy one day and <laughs> love to win an Emmy one day, win an Oscar, that, man. even be, even be nominated, see those things go. But I think teaching has become, so much more important in my life and just seeing how I can impact others, not just, not just at the piano, but like in life, because as everyone's seen today, how much the piano can relate to other aspects of our life. And that's, that's always my goal with it is to not be, make people better piano players, but, but better people and more inspired in their own lives and become better employees and better workers and better husbands and better wives and better kids and better parents all through the piano. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the instrument I use to, to get the message through to people, to, to challenge yourself and to believe in yourself and to, to not give up so easily and to just slow down and, and give yourself, give yourself a chance and don't be so hard on yourself. These are all the things I try and teach people at the piano, but I, I you know, I hope it, they, they take it further in life and use that in all aspects of life. Who knows where life's going to take me? Cause I could have never, could have never imagined being, you know, sitting where I am right now with the type of job that I'm doing. Could have never imagined that all starting from me wanting to make beats for rappers. There's no way. It's just, 
that's that's the fun in it all you know i think that's that's the beauty in it all you've grown into quite a young man for the last few years that is you've seen it you know the growth you know i have man i remember when i got the job at the bronx da bro i was yeah i was I was telling, I was working with you, interviewing there. We were talking got, about it. Got the phone call, man. You're at, <laughs> you're at my house on the phone. It was, yeah, I forget. I think that was for like the second. Oh, for the third interview. I think yeah. it was for the third interview. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. The, I think it, the way it went was if you make it past the second round, like you got it. Right. Naturally, after the third round, I had to wait like two more weeks before the district attorney called me and she was like, I want to offer you the job. I was at the gym when I got the job. That was, uh, I was pretty hyped that day. And then we came back and we recorded some more music later that week and it set the tone for everything else, man. And something I've been doing this month or a few days in is a gratitude channel over the course of this year. Yeah. Over the course of this year, Gratitude has been something I always try to implement in my life. Perspective is everything for me. Everything is about angles, how you look at, how you look at your day, how you look at your life. And then giving thanks for those things, it creates less space for complaining. Everyone has problems, but you wish for a life of good problems, as we know. For me today, I started off, ironically, being grateful for my music, being grateful for my education and being grateful for my friends. Now, there's a few different themes in there that happen to correlate with this episode in particular, because naturally music, the education that you have given me as a teacher, but also as a friend. So I want to thank you for all that. We're actually going to ask you right now, you are grateful for in the spirit of the gratitude challenge on inside the inspired this month. All right. Three things I'm grateful for. First, I would have to say my beautiful fiance who's in the other room over there. Get married next year. So that's pretty crazy. Absolutely grateful for her every single day. Inspiring me and giving me love and purpose and and life outside of work, which I think was something uh, I struggled to find as, as a youngster was more purpose outside of just work, 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 work. And she's really brought that to my life. So that would be one. Two, I think opportunity is just like a big one. So grateful for all these opportunities I've gotten over the past really few months. And it's amazing to see where I started from this year. Just a few clients, really, just from the beginning of the year. Maybe I had like five clients, seven clients in in terms of teaching. And now I have over 50 and I wasn't doing any composing gigs at all. And now I've been booked out for composing the last for like the past four months and got another four months booked. So I think opportunity and which, which really also makes me grateful for the people who believe in me, for having people in this world who believe in me, family, friends. So yeah, I think, I don't know if that's still part of number two, but I'll throw on a third one. Third one. Man, grateful for I mean, so much. I think another one I'll throw in there is for music as well. I think it's an incredible thing and in, in how many ways, you know, it, it connects people. And I think that's kind of what I touched on at first today was, was the beauty in teaching, especially music allows you to connect with people. And I think um, music truly does bring people together and, and helps people, people who aren't with other people feel connected to other people, which I think is the most beautiful thing about it. 
you know, so you can be alone listening to music and feel warm as if there's other people around you. And that's as if someone's speaking to you, you know, as if there's like an ex, almost like a godlike being talking to you, you know, especially in songs. So I think those three things, at least today, right now, I don't feel it. You still got it. <laughs> and you're still growing and it's amazing to see. I'm so proud of you. I'm so hyped. I am going to include the work that me and you put together a few years ago in the final mastered version of this podcast. I'm really hyped to share it finally after all these years. I don't want to say it's outdated because it's timeless, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> music is absolutely timeless. Man. Can't put a date on it. You just can't. There's a release date, but that's about it. People keep growing and getting older and music means something to them in a different part of their life. You know, that song like Let It Go, which is the first one we did together. There's people who are in happy relationships right now who might hear that song and be like, I don't get it. And then there's and then something may happen in their lives. And three years later, they may hear that same song. And all of a sudden, that same lyric means something completely different to them now. And that, that's what makes music so timeless is we keep growing as people. And the words, same words can mean something different to us. And everything you're saying hit differently today. That's for sure. <laughs> my man, everyone, right. my friend, my guy, John Schneider. Pleasure having you on the show today, my man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Proud of you for what you're doing and for seeing this podcast through. And it's December 5th, but we fit in the in the last last run last month. We're ready to get <laughs> even with our little setback earlier this week, we still found the time and, and stuck to it. As but I always it was- say, man, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. Such Absolutely. a pleasure, bro. Wishing you the best. I'll see you soon when you're back in New York. Absolutely, man. All right. So you can see why John is the man and why it's such a pleasure to be able to bring people like John on. So this way we can all talk about how to enhance our lives through the additional activities that we make time for. Make time for yourself. Find what you love. Tap into it never let it go on that note please enjoy the song that i wrote called let go produced by my man john schneider it's the first time i'm actually premiering it for the world so i hope you like it and until next time stay safe stay strong stay mindful Running through my 
mind Wondering where we stood I wanted you to be The one like you thought that you should So why did you let go? Cause we are